Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. I brought Andrew, a friend of mine, to come along. Learned a long time ago not to leave home unless I've got somebody with me. It's just safer that way. Um, but we're glad to be here, very excited. And as Jimmy said, I am with Calvary Chapel Lexington, for those of you who do not know. Uh, and we have a ministry there. It's a residential ministry that's actually situated on the campus, and it's called U-Turn for Christ. And basically, it's a ministry uh, that the Lord uh, saw fit to give to uh, an individual who had his own struggles with sin and addiction, and it had very inauspicious beginnings back in California in a small town called Paris. Um, 1994, six or seven or something like that. And from those very inhospitable beginnings, God has blessed the ministry to where it's now worldwide. It's all over the world. And it's not just about addiction. It's about raising men and women up uh, to, to be disciples and to serve the Lord. And over the years, the founding pastor, Pastor Jerry, has probably ordained close to five dozen individuals and sent them out into the world. To do So I think that's pretty neat um, because that's the vision that the Lord gave Pastor Jerry. Not just deliver men and women from drugs and alcohol because that's great. You know, we'll be, we can have a great life. But God doesn't come into our lives just to do something for us. Amen. He comes in our lives to do something for us so that we can what? Do something for somebody else. And we had um, apologetics uh, short seminar over the weekend. It was on a Saturday. Several weeks ago, one of the speakers, Frank Turek, Dr. Frank Turek, I don't know if you guys know him, but he's very good at what he does. But he had a question and answer period, and he was asking some questions. And then he, he asked this, and it was pretty profound. I'd heard it asked, but I hadn't heard it asked in a long time. And he says, why are we here? And unfortunately for him, he had to do virtual because he was having some symptoms like maybe COVID-like, so he didn't want to come. I don't think he had it, but he didn't want to test the waters. So he was on a uh, live stream, and he was talking to uh, the people that were there. I, I didn't have the opportunity to go because I was a little sick, too. I thought maybe I had it, too. So anyway, he asked the question, why are we here? And people came up to the mic, well, we're here, you know, to, to, uh, to get saved, for God to deliver us and all of those things. And there were some very good answers, but he said two things. He, he says that we are here to know God. And then after knowing God, we're here to make him known. To know God and make him known. That's our mission, family. To know God and make him known. So tonight we're doing the know God part. That's where I come in at. I'm going to teach you how to know God a little bit better, Amen. And if you guys don't like it, don't tell me because I get very easily hurt. My feelings get hurt. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 20. We're going to do our best to get a little bit better understanding of who God is. The book of Deuteronomy is a series of three sermons that Moses speaks to the people of God before they enter into the promised land to conquer it. In chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, that's where the second sermon begins. And this is what the Lord says to his people, Israel, through Moses. Now, I'm, I'm going to be teaching from the New American Standard, and I, I think your pastor teaches through the, the uh, New King James, so it might read just a little bit different. 
but it's going to speak basically the same. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. Verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Drop down to verse 31. But as for you, this is God speaking to Moses. But as for you, Moses, stand here by me that I may speak to you, you Moses, all the commandments and statutes and the judgments which I shall teach, which you shall teach them that they may observe them in the land which I give them to possess. That word observe literally means to not just sit and look, but it means to act, that you might act upon them once you're taught. And then verse 32 says, so you shall observe. This is a different Hebrew word. It's not the same as the observe in the previous chapter. It means to carefully watch, to pay attention, that you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you, you shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live, that you may live. That word means to, to live prosperously, that you may live and that you may, that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you possess. And so God, through Moses, is speaking to the nation of Israel as they're preparing to go into the promised land. They're preparing for war. And God is saying, these things I'm speaking to you, you need to be ready. And if you are obedient, if you heed what I say, if you follow, if you pay close attention, if you observe my commandments, what comes with that? Blessing. With obedience comes blessing. God says, if you hear what I'm telling you, if you take heed to what I'm sharing with you, and you're careful to obey it then he says look you will live and it will be well with you your day shall be prolonged man anybody here not want that that's a no-brainer right and so God's love for us is unconditional but his blessings come with conditions how many of you guys are parents your kids are acting out rebelling <clears throat> Just making life miserable for everybody, including you and all the other kids. You got one child. And so you decide, you wake up one day and say, you know what? I think I'll bless my child. I'll go buy him a brand new Mustang 2021 and give it to him, right? Absolutely not. That ain't happening. Why not? Because he's being disobedient. However, if the child is doing everything that they can to obey and not be perfect, because we know no child is perfect and neither is the parent. But if they're doing everything that they can and they're striving to please mom and dad, you know what, I'm just going to stop on the way home from work and get them a little something just to give it to them, to bless them, right? And so God is the same way. As long as we're being obedient and striving to walk in his ways, God will bless our lives. The Bible oftentimes, and oh, by the way, the title of the message is The Battle Belongs to the Lord. And it's interesting as Jimmy was up here asking for prayer and he's talking about all the things that we're going through I'm like, God, you're too good because that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about spiritual battles because that's what this life is all about. The Bible often describes our walk with Christ as a battle. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Second Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 3, says that for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful to the destruction of fortresses. Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, says this. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And so throughout scripture, man, it shows us, the writers of uh, the scriptures show us that we are in a battle. We're in a spiritual war. And so if we're in war, that means that we need to what? Be prepared. All of these scriptures speak of spiritual warfare that goes on in the life of a believer. Truly, it is a spiritual battle in the heavenlies for our very souls because we have an enemy and he's real. And I'm not saying that we need to go around and that there's there's a boogeyman or Satan and behind every tree and every bad thing that happens to us. Oh, Satan. Oh. But we need to be alert and we need to be prepared. We need to understand that this is not a furlough that we're on. So I have a question for you before we get started. How many of you guys were in the military? So I'm going to ask some questions, and the, the timing may be a little bit off because I researched this a, a, a while back, but if you're in the Army, you have to go through what's known as what? Boot camp, right? So how long is basic training? Ten weeks, basic training. After basic training, then there's AIT, which is what? Advanced Individual Training, and that usually lasts for anywhere from four to 52 weeks, depending on what you signed up for and what your specialty is. And then after that, you're ready for combat. You're a soldier. You're in the Army now. What about special forces? That's a little bit different, right? If you're going to become a special forces combatant, there's a little bit more training. Basic training goes from 10 weeks to 9 weeks, but along with that 9 weeks, you have 4 weeks of advanced individual training. Then you have airborne, which is 3 weeks. That's roughly 16 weeks. And then there are 5 phases that you have to go through. First phase is for four weeks. The second phase is for five weeks. The third phase is between 14 and 18 weeks, again, depending on the specialty that you're in. Fourth phase is between 18 and 24 weeks. And then the final phase, fifth phase, is for five weeks. So all total, you're looking at roughly 120 weeks. That computes out to roughly 2.3 hours. So if you were capable of passing the special forces training, and you knew as soon as that, that you were finished, and whether it be regular boot camp or special forces, you were going to the fiercest front line fight uh, in the corner of the world to be thrown into. Which one would you rather have? I'd rather be special forces, right? I'd rather be prepared. I'd rather be in a position to know that I'm able to deal with whatever's going to happen. And so as we look at this passage, there's going to be six, seven, eight, nine points that I want to show. But it shows that we're in a war, but we also need to be prepared. Years ago, I used to be a, a martial artist. Don't laugh. Probably don't look like it now. It was when I was in my early 20s. But I did study, and I got good enough to be a brown belt. And we used to spar with our sensei. He was, I think, a third-degree black belt. And he didn't go full speed. But we got dinged up pretty good. 
But I studied enough to go in there feel, feeling a little bit confident. But any of you guys that know anything about boxing or fighting, you know you can't go in there thinking about what you're going to do and what punch you're going to throw. And ting, you just got knocked out. You have to be prepared. You have to be prepared before you get into the fight. You don't learn how to fight in the fight. You don't prepare for the fight in the fight. Amen? You prepare for the fight where? Before you get in the fight. So that when you enter into the fight, you're confident and you're going to do what you have already been trained to do. And so it is for those of us who are in Christ. We need to be not only recognizing that we're in the fight, we need to be prepared for the fight. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. When you go out to war, this is Moses speaking to the people of Israel. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots, and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Wait a minute. First thing, out of the first shoot, out of verse 1, it says that when you go to war and you see horses and chariots and an army bigger than your own, do not what? Do not be afraid. So back in those times, let's put it in perspective. You know, you had... Uh, the children of Israel being brought out of Egypt, they weren't trained soldiers. They were fighting with pruning sticks and, and, and saws and things like that. Chariots and horses were the tanks of that day. And if an army had chariots and horses, that pretty much guaranteed victory, right? And so if you were about to go against an army and all you saw were chariots and horses, that kind of make your knees a little weak, right? And so what Moses is saying is, when you see that, don't focus on that. This is very significant. Before any sort of discussion, any conversation, before any strategy is discussed, God tells his people to remember what he's done and how he's delivered them out of Egypt. Look at what it says. Go back. It says, when you go out to war against your enemies and see the horses and the chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid for the Lord your God is the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He said, remember, I'm the one that brought you here. And back during those times, Egypt was the, the great nation probably on the known continent or the known world at that time. This is very important. The most important part of waging warfare and being prepared to fight with the enemy it is this, to know that we need to know and seek God first. We need to seek God first. He needs to be the one that we look to. So that's point one. Point one is this, we need to recognize that with the Lord is where the battle is won. Before we get started, before there's any strategy, before we figure out how we're going to ambush the enemy or anything like that, first and foremost, I need to look to God. Because in my own strength, the enemy is going to kick my fan. Can I say that here? I'm toast. And so I recognize that God is the one. He's brought me out of Egypt. And everybody in here has been brought out of their own Egypt. Amen. God has delivered us all from slavery of sin. Could you do it on your own? Absolutely not. And so I give God the praise, honor, and glory. God, you're a great God. So I'm going to look to you to make sure that I'm going to trust what you're going to do. Point one, again, is we need to recognize that the battle is one by the Lord going on in verse 2 it says and when you draw near to the battle the priest shall come forward and speak and the people shall say to them oh hear, hear O Israel 
Today you are drawing near for the battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. Do not fear, do not panic, or do not be in dread. Do not be afraid. Fear not. And so after Moses speaks to the people of Israel, then the priest comes and he says, do not fear. And the priests were telling the men not to be fearful for what appears to be the superior army. Remember, they're looking at an army that's got horses and chariots. And the priest is saying, fear not. Don't be afraid of that. But trust God. He is the one. In other words, take your eyes off of what you see and put your eyes on who? Focus on who? Focus on the one that delivered you out of Egypt. Focus on the Lord God. Don't see. Don't look with your natural eyes. Because in the natural, it could be overwhelming. What the priest is saying is focus on the battle with your spiritual eyes. Second Kings chapter 6 says this. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel and he counseled with his servants saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God, this is Elisha. He's the prophet during this time and he's prophesying to the uh, northern kingdom of Israel. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the uh, Amerians are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing and he called his servants and said to them, will you tell me which of you is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, verse 12, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So this is what's going on. The king of Aram is, wants to besiege and, and capture uh, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom. And so as he's plotting and, and strategizing with his men about what to do, God is bringing that to, to Elijah. And so Elijah is going and telling the king of Israel the king is doing such and such. And so he's helping the king of Israel prepare. And when the king of Aram does his thing, then Israel is prepared for that. And, and, and the king is like trying to figure out like, man, who's going to tell him, you know, Israel what we're doing? Verse 13. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and take him. And it was told to him saying, behold, he is at Dothan. This is he being Elisha. Verse 14, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And he came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had, a, had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And the servant said to his master, Alas, master, what shall we do? Verse 16, so he answered, he being Elisha, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And so this is what's happening. The king found out where Elisha was hiding. So he sent an army to circle the city. And when the attendant, the individual who was attending to Elijah, the prophet, saw this, he became fearful. And this is what Elisha did. He told him again in verse 16, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. When they came down to him, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, 
Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elijah. So here's the point that I'm making. The attendant of Elijah, all he saw was in the natural. And when he saw it, he was what? He was fearful. It's like, man, what the heck are we going to do? All I see is chairs and horses. But Elijah, the man of God, had the ability to see beyond the natural and look into the spiritual. And he told his attendant to do what? Man, open your eyes. And he prayed to the Lord, and God opened his eyes. And what did he see? Like, man, myriads upon myriads of God's angels. And so the point is this, family. When we fix our eyes on Jesus and don't focus on the overwhelming enemy, whatever it is, whether it be loss of a job and don't know how I'm going to pay for my bills, uh, I've got this. Uh, affliction and, and God, they're, they're telling me there's nothing that can be done. Um, the whole thing with the COVID and all that's going on with that and, and we're focusing on all of that as God is saying, man, don't focus on that. He said, don't focus on that. He says, focus on me. Take your eyes off the natural and look beyond the natural and see what you can see in the spiritual. And when you look that way, you're like, okay, I see you, God. I see you. God can do it. Hebrews 12 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That word fixing literally means to not just look at something. That's not what it means. Because, you know, I can fix and I can look at this young lady here and I can fix my eyes. But in the original language, in the Greek, what it means is take your eyes off of this and put it on this. That's more intentional. You follow what I'm saying? I'm not looking at this anymore. I'm here. I'm on you. I see you. And that's what God is saying. Don't focus on what you can see. Focus beyond that. In other words, don't be afraid. Look to Jesus. God is bigger than any battle we will come up against. Spiritual warfare needs to be seen through spiritual eyes. That's point number two. Psalms 121 says, I look to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from who? From the Lord. And so this whole pandemic, and I'm not going to even get on that because I'm not here to be political, but it's got a whole bunch of folk concerned, rightfully so. I caught the COVID. God was gracious. My symptoms were very mild. But there are some people, a lot of people, who have not been so fortunate, and it's impacted this country. And I'm not saying that we're supposed to just walk around willy-nilly like, you know, uh, it's no big deal because it is. But man, God doesn't want his children to walk around in fear, family. He doesn't. Yes, we ought to be, as the Lord told his disciples, wise as serpents, as harmless as what? Does. To be wise. You walk in wisdom, but not in fear. It's two different things. And so the word of God is saying, take your eyes off of your circumstances. Look to me. Verse 2 again, let's go back. It says, and when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, Israel, today you are drawing near to the battle for the battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear, do not panic, or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. They're speaking the word of God, the priests are, into the lives of the men. And so point number three is you speak the truth of God's word into your life. That's what the priests were doing. 
They spoke the word of God to the men. And so we do the same. God, I trust you. God, I believe that you're going to deliver me. God, your word says. You give promises. God, I'm trusting in what you say. I fear not. And it says that the Lord goes with them into battle. God, I believe in and trust in that you're with me in battle. But way back in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and in chapter 3, it says that not only does the, the Lord God go with them, he goes before them. He's not just with them. He's leading the charge. And so Father Yours says that not only are you with me, you're leading, and he's the good shepherd. And wherever the good shepherd goes, the, the sheep are supposed to do what? They're supposed to follow. And so God, if you lead me, I know you're going to bring me to victory. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard, difficult, tough, because life is tough. But God, if you're leading me, I know you're going to get me to the other side. It's just like when the Lord told the disciples to get in the boat, we're going over to the other side. And he was in the boat, sleep, chilling. And all of a sudden, this storm arose. And they started taking water, and what happened? They got what? They got scared. They got afraid. And they woke up, oh, Lord, don't you care? What did he say? You knuckleheads, what's wrong with No, that's not what he said. What did he say? Oh, ye of little faith. Why would he say that? The storm was real. What you mean, little faith? Don't you see these waves coming? I got faith, but these waves are real. Well, they forgot. He said, get in the boat because we're going where? I can't hear you, family. We're going to the other side. When God said we're going over to the other side, guess where we're going? We're going over to the other side. Amen? We're going over to the other side. So when God is leading, he don't just lead and in the middle say, you know what, man, I made a mistake. I'm going the wrong way. I meant to go back this way. Y'all come on back this way. When he leaves, he's going to get us to where he's taking us. Amen. We need to trust and believe in God's promises. Verse 5. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, is there any man who has built a house, a new house, or has dedicated and has not dedicated it. Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man enjoy it. Verse 7. And is there any man who has betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further to the people and say, is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. In verse 9, and when the officers finish, have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed at the head of the people. So here we are talking about war. And we're talking about get prepared for war. What the heck does my vineyard and me not eating fruit from my vineyard have to do with getting ready for war. What does I just built a house, oh, by the way, I haven't slept in it, have to do with war? Engaged in combat and be worried about what's going on back home. You dead. Your mind has to be fully focused on the mission that you're going. And so <clears throat> the military leaders are the ones that are speaking. The priests encourage the men through the word of God. Now the military leaders addressing anyone who may have any distraction, any distractions that would hinder them from trusting in the ability and God's ability to fight for them. See, the priests came forward to encourage them. But if there's distractions back home and what the priest said was not enough to discourage that distraction, the military leader saying, eh, 
man, you might need to go back home and maybe take care of that. Also, it talked about the one who's faint of heart. This would affect the strength of their will. That is, they could become faint-hearted. If a weak will was not controlled by faith from the beginning, it would lead to fear, terror, and even panic before the enemy. So if the soldiers failed to listen to the priests, they would become fearful and experience defeat. And so what the word of God is saying to the people of Israel, that if there's any distractions, any fear, then you need not go in to war, going to battle. And so it is with you and I. When we fail to trust and believe in the promises of God, we resort to our own ways and trust in our own strength, and we suffer what? Defeat. When we're not believing and trusting in God, what God is saying he will do for us, we're done. And so point number four is trust in the strength and the power of Almighty God. The priests were responsible for encouraging the men through the word of God. The, the officers were responsible for making sure that the army was made up of qualified men. The most qualified weren't necessarily the most gifted or most suited for war. Rather, the most qualified were those committed fully and wholeheartedly to the Lord without distraction. See, they didn't go in there and say, okay, how many of you guys can, can, can tell men with, with one hand tied behind your back? Because it doesn't matter how good you fight, how strong you are, how courageous you are. If you're not trusting fully in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're a liability. And again, so it is with you and I. Believing and trusting in God's way. And from what was left, the commanders were chosen. So point five says this. We need to be committed fully, 100%, to trusting in the Lord to bring victory. No distractions. No distractions. And again, going back to a verse that I read earlier, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says this. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. When we're out on the battlefield, we need to be fully committed to the battle without any distractions. Going on, verse 10. When you draw near to the city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. But the women and the little ones, the livestock, and everything in the city, all its spoils, shall t you shall take as plunder for yourselves. And you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Verse 15. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not cities of nations here. And so what the Lord is saying is when you come across, they're, they're moving into the promised land. They're going to be passing through villages and towns as they go to the promised land. This portion, what he's talking about here, doesn't apply to when they actually enter into the promised land. As you're passing cities and you besiege them, if they offer peace, then you accept the peace and then you take them for tribute. They pay you tribute. Cities that are not close neighbors, you offer them peace. And if they agree, they become slaves and pay tribute to the Hebrews. But if they make no peace, 
the Lord says Israel was instructed to make war against them. And when the Lord brought the victory, Israel was to, to kill the males and take the women and children and livestock and spoil along with everything else. But you do this for the city that is very far from you. Verse 16 says, but in the cities of these people that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance, you shall uh, save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites as the Lord your God commanded you. You are to utterly destroy all the cities that were in the land of inheritance, the land of promise. Israel was to completely destroy and offer no peace. Why is that? That seems kind of cruel, man, doesn't it? God, you want me to destroy? It says, <laughs> God's pretty specific. Everything that breathes, that's what he says. Killing cats, dogs, and everything else. But why is God telling them to do that? Look at what verse 18 says. That they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. So let's see. What were some of those abominable practices? Um, child sacrifices. Um, sexual orgies as they worship their gods. Uh, divination, black magic, and all those dark things that they were involved in. And so what God was doing with the nation of Israel was bringing judgment on all of these people. And for some 400 plus years, these people groups that Israel was coming into to conquer and take over had plenty of time to turn from their ways. And now God was using Israel to bring judgment on them. The people were not to learn, to train, or to exercise in the abominable practices of their neighbors. And again, sexual orgies, forms of worship, sacrificing babies, witchcraft, speaking to demons. But there's also the potential of becoming desensitized to these things, even if they didn't practice it. And so let's just be devil's advocate. Well, I'm not going to do that. I love the Lord, and I'll never do that. Yeah, but over time, if you keep seeing those things happening over and over again, you know what happens to us? We become what? Desensitized to it. Amen? We do. We do. It's no longer that great thing. Oh, well, it ain't that bad. Well, I'm not doing it. It's okay for them, but I'm not doing it. So it's not just about not practicing it. It's not being involved in sin. And so as for you and I, we need to be careful in what we allow in our lives, even if we don't necessarily practice it, because you and I may become desensitized, and then it becomes a problem. You see, we live in a culture now, and I'm talking about the church of Almighty God, particularly here in America, where instead of trying to get as far away from sin as we can, people are asking, well, if I do that, is that sin? Well, what about that? Is that sin? Well, can I do this? Instead of doing what? Wanting to walk before the Lord God holy and blameless and righteous. And so we don't get to the place where we're testing the waters of sea. God, you call me to be holy, holy blameless, and righteous. You call me to be salt and light. You call me to be that one who points people to you. You call me to be the one who know you and then make you known to others. Well, if I'm walking around looking like the world, how can I tell people about Jesus if I look like the world? Well, what I need to know Jesus for, you kind of look like me. You live in the same way I'm living. I don't need Jesus. Verse 19, when you besiege a city for a long time 
making war against it in order to take it. You shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human that they should be besieged by you? Verse 20. Only the trees that you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down, that you may build siege works against the city and make, uh, that makes war with you until it falls. So it's talking about the spoils of war and what happens when you begin to lay siege to a city and take from that city. Left out one point, though, going back to that other point, when the Lord says that when you get to the cities where you are, going to be staying, and he says, utterly destroy them. There's another point that I needed to make. We need to be intentional about allowing those things in our lives that may stumble us, and we need to take radical steps to be careful to not allow these things into our lives. Remember, he says to, to kill everything that breathes. In other words, be radical. So question, what's going on in your life that you may need to cut out, that you may need to make a radical decision? Might be a relationship, might be someone that could potentially cause you to stumble. And God is saying, be radical. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 uh, talks about uh, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better that you enter life crippled than having two hands and go to hell into the unquenchable. Fire, verse 44, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. And what God is saying is not to go maiming yourself and walking around like, God is saying, let's, let's be those who take radical steps. If something is potentially causing you to stumble, we need to be radical. We need to kill whatever it is that's causing us to stumble, to put to death. And then again, going on, it talks about the spoils of the war in verses 19 and 20. In the ancient Near East, during these times, military powers punished their enemies by indiscriminately laying waste to the land. They would just come through like a locust and just devastate all the land. This practice made no sense to Israel because they would be destroying the very land that the Lord was giving them. Notice the word of God says if it's a tree that bears fruit, don't do what? Don't chop it down. Duh. That's what you're going to be eating. Why, how does that make sense? That's not being wise. In other words, they would be destroying the very blessings of Almighty God. Have respect and honor for God's creation. And don't be harsh and misuse your power and be excessive in using it. And point seven is this. Here's the application for you and I. That we need to be wise and good stewards of what God gives us. But also, we are not to take advantage of a person, a situation, or circumstance simply because we are in a power or a position of authority. We need to honor the Lord in all that we do. And so just because I have the power to do something, I need not be harsh or cruel. I need to honor God in what I'm doing. So here's the final thoughts. We're going to wrap it up, family. Thank you for being patient. Number one, we need to be prepared for the, for the battle is real. We need to be prepared. You don't go into a battle and getting prepared. You prepare before you get in the battle. Number two, we need to recognize that our strength is not found in ourselves, but in the Lord, and we need to keep our eyes fixed upon him. Number three, we need to speak and hold on to the promises of God in our lives. Number four, we need to be intentional in cutting out anything that causes us to stumble. Number five, when God brings us the victory, we need to take care of and be good stewards 
over what God entrusts with us and not use our position to be harsh and oppressive and to use it to help others and glorify the Lord again. Remember, to know God and make him known. And then finally, we need to be those who desire to live in obedience to the Lord and desire, again, to make him known and to know him. And if we do that, God will be glorified. God will be exalted. God will be lifted up. And that's the only reason why we're here, family. We're not on vacation. Because the truth of the matter is, God could have saved us and got us up out of here. And I would be like, thank you, Lord Jesus. May I not come quickly. So he's left us here for a purpose and a reason. We ain't on vacation. This is not our home. We don't belong here. We're aliens. This is foreign territory. But we're supposed to be furthering the kingdom of Almighty God, right? That's why he left us here. The kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to be promoting and furthering. So question in closing. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and bless you, God. And we give you glory. Lord, I thank you so much that you're a God that not only loves us and cares for us, you're also a God who brings the victory in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would go before us and that we would remember your promises, that we would look to you, that we would recognize, Lord God, that this is indeed a battle. But, Lord, that we would recognize, as the title of this message says, the battle is yours. It's not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And God, your word says that if you are for us, who can be against us? We know that victory is in you. We're more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. And so we thank you, God, and we bless you. We give you glory. Be with us. Walk before us and help us to be obedient, God, to all that you called us to do and all you called us to be. We thank you and praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.